many, many movements emphasize evangelistic methods and strategies as far as dialogue and how to be a friend to someone. All those are important, but not as important, nowhere near, uh, nearly as important as being a vessel that can receive this download from heaven where the Spirit of God is with us, working powerfully in us that sometimes without us even saying a word, just like the Apostle Peter instructed wives who had unbelieving husbands. He said, by your chaste conduct, by your the power of purity within you, it's going to have such an impact on your unbelieving husbands. It's going to be such a powerful magnet. Now, in that case, that particular spouse is not able to speak. There are situations where we won't be able to speak as freely as in others. So there's a provision made there that there are times when our witness is our presence. It's not something mystical or egotistical, but it is practical and real where God's power will actually radiate through us. As we mentioned recently, we heard in church about Moses coming down from the mountain. Faith was radiating with heaven's glory. There's, there were beams coming out of his face. Literal beams. Because his human body absorbed divine rays from God's presence. Oh my God. I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed when I think about that. He, his, his physical body absorbed something from the immaterial supernatural realm. And it stayed on his face. When he came down, people had to hide themselves. They couldn't look on his face. It says something about the glory of God. Well, it's also something that will draw us, draw people to God. On the one hand, we heard again recently, we are the aroma of life, the fragrance of life, but also the fragrance of death, the aroma of death to those who are perishing. Now, we have been praying for this city, not only this city, but wherever our church family lives, whatever state and whatever country, that wherever you are, you will absorb from this time together in God's presence. And that will be visible. It'll be something that people will be attracted to. That's what I mean by visible. They may not necessarily see rays coming out of your face. It could happen. Anything's possible with God. But we're not striving to have a show. But we definitely want to have a glow. We want to have a glow from the Spirit of God where people are attracted. There's a magnetic pull. Only God can do that. John the Baptist had a magnetic pull. He was very unassuming. Nothing about himself. And that's where the power was. While he emptied himself, he was filled with glory. So that is the answer. The primary objective of us getting together, including today, which is day five of the 21 days that the Lord has called us to, to be together to fast and pray. In the book of Acts, it's written in the early chapters that when the disciples, they came together, the place was shaken. Now, what's their to say that that can happen with us. I had a wonderful time yesterday worshiping the Lord before we went into the Word. Hallelujah. Some of you couldn't help shouting because God's presence was so powerful. He was touching you even during that time of worship. And that cleared the way for the Word to come sharp as ever to touch us where we need to be touched in our hearts. Satan is setting up shop. There are camps set up. The Philistines would come across. They'd spy on the Israelites. You know what they'll do? Start setting up little camps here and there. They'll have a lookout, but they'll start moving like a tsunami, slowly but surely. And the enemy knows that this church is about to take over his territory in Port Jervis. What will he do? He'll bring all kinds of distractions and weird things and he will set up camp around individual believers if he can, if we let him. What the word does is God comes right on time, 
to shoot the enemy down. Even when the believer who may be surrounded by Satan and not aware of it fully, going with the flow of the bad, God comes to their rescue. And all of a sudden they're woken up. They say, oh my God, what am I doing? And every time the enemy sets up shop like that around the believer, the word comes like a cannonball to shoot that garrison down. But we need to know God won't forever shoot the garrisons down. We need to know we have to be proactive. So it's our chance to pray with a concerted effort together, believing what Jesus himself spoke in Luke chapter 18. He said that man was unjust. He, he did not fear anyone. He was a proud dude, rude and crude. He was evil, full of himself. He had a position. He got elected or he put himself up there or he bought his way up there. Whatever he did, he had some power. And he had the power to vindicate, to avenge this poor widow. But he said, I don't care about you. I'm elected, I'm in office, but too bad for you. I'm going to enjoy my dinner. But she was so persistent that he got very, very frustrated. He said, I have to get her out of my hair. This is too much. She is wearing me out. With all my power, I can't stop this woman, poor widow. And he yielded. And we learn a few things from there. And the Lord says, now you don't give up. See how that woman went to who? What kind of person was he? There are people who say, don't go to that boss. Don't go to that person. He, they won't give you no. Why? Because they turned 57 people down for the job and for the promotion and re- really mean boss. I actually had in a situation where another brother I knew many years ago, it was actually a, a racial bias in that situation. There's a clear uh, evidence of racism. Everybody knew in the store. And this man was a man of faith. He was the opposite race. And he said, everybody told me, don't go. And he named the person. His name was Harold. I remember. This is over 30. It's about 33 years ago. Maybe 32, 33 years ago. I remember. I remember the man's face to this day, even though I only saw it once or twice. Maybe a handful of times. This brother was told again and again by everybody in the store, do not go to Harold. He will not give you promotion, especially since you're not his kind. This man paid no mind to that. (laughs) He prayed and he got promoted. God gave him such favor and God rewarded his faith. God is saying, tune out every bit of unbelief, every bit of doubt. Go not to the unjust man, but go to your father. How much more will the father give you? If you show you have real faith, you won't give up. Don't jump to do anything, but wait on him and he will come through for you. The King James language is God says men ought not to faint. For that matter, women or children also. Jesus is encouraging us. When we come together like this, I mean, it's super powerful. It's supposed to be. You have a certain amount of power when you pray by yourself. Note this. Number one, you have a certain amount of power when you pray by yourself with faith. You have a lot of power because of the one who's faithful. To reward faith. Hallelujah. Second, you have another dimension of power when we come together with like-minded believers. That is like precious faith. We all are on the same page. We love God and love each other. We know we're a tight spiritual house. And we're going to go together to the Father. And he loves to see his children together. Don't you love it if you have children? How, what parent wouldn't like to 
see the children together. Oh my God. What, how a parents heart, parents hearts are torn apart when they see the kids fighting and they're not together no matter what age. But when they see the children and get along and get together, oh what a delight for the parents. And how the father loves that. Now the spirit can work more powerfully. Now there's a third factor that makes a meeting like this all the more powerful. And that is this. Praying exactly the Father's will. There are times when we don't know. There are situations that contextually where we are, we just don't know the answer and we're seeking God. It's a powerful time. God will answer. He'll come through. But how much more faith should we have when we know I am praying exactly the will of God, which is to go into all the world, into all of Port Jervis and beyond, preach the gospel, teach the nations, teach the people. Triple power, superpower. So, this is meant to be an exhortation to encourage everyone. We will get what we came for. We come to the Father with unity and faith and love. And put away pretense and pride and pity. Say, Lord, I'm all yours. I don't want anything, Lord. I want you. And Lord, if I've erred anywhere, help me not to be a hindrance, Lord, to the work of the Spirit. And help me not to go off in a corner and say, it's me, I guess I don't belong, but rather repent. That guy that was given the one talent, he said, I'll just bury it right here. I put it in a napkin. And when he comes back, I give him what is this. You can't say that. I, I, I stole it. Apparently, that didn't make the investor or the master happy at all. Why? He said, because you should have multiplied. That's the reason I gave it to you, to do something with it, to go forward. You see? Not to complain and have a pity party. Say, well, I know I couldn't do anything. Here it is. What you gave me is back to you. The Lord said, wicked and lazy servant. And we don't want to hear those words at all. We want God to say, you're a diligent and good servant. You're honest. And you follow through with everything I've told you to do. That's what we want to hear. And God wants to give us more and more. So the Lord's been dealing with us on these things. And I believe yesterday we heard about the two extremes. And yet they're twins. Pride and self-pity. To feel more and more empowered that, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty good. I can preach good. I can pray good. I can evangelize good. Hey, look, that person likes me. Look, I... we have to get rid of that pride. We have to really, really say, I cannot think like that. That's from Lucifer. And we heard very clearly yesterday, the day before, that Lucifer gets kicked out of heaven. Death cannot stand in his presence. And those who participate in those things will be removed. These are realities. We heard about Revelation last night, the churches, the letters. God means every word, every single word that he uttered to Thyatira, to Ephesus, to Pergamos, to Philadelphia, to Smyrna, to Laodicea, to Sardis, every single word that he uttered, every single word was exactly what they needed to hear. And so every single word God is giving us is so that we can have these camps that the enemy sets around us, whether through doubt or fear or pretense, hypocrisy, shadiness, gossip. A lot of things can be happening. A lot of camps set up. God's word comes like a cannonball and shoots that down to rescue you so that we can be one. When we're one with transparent sincerity, we pray. Triple power. Remember that. A lot of power can be there when we pray by ourselves with Sincere faith. Lots of power. 
When we come together, it's another dimension of power. When two people who are sincere and humble and broken, full of faith, fully expecting and fully honoring the Lord and love to be in his presence and delight in him and his work. What will that, what will happen with two people like that or three people or more? It's another dimension altogether of receiving from God and having his presence manifest in our midst. Now, when we pray of thing, about things that not, we're not, uh, that we're not sure of, we're bringing those things to God. We want clarity, but we're praying exactly his will, which is to save souls. That is the ultimate. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God will make everyone in this church a mighty soul winner. Everyone, if we believe, based on all we've heard. Hallelujah. We can't lose. We cannot lose. God will impart, impart the power day by day as we come to him. And we ought to be ready. Well, God's going to give me a soul. I got to get myself ready. He's going to give me two souls. I got to get myself ready. I'm going to be praying for souls. I'm going to be looking for souls. I'm going to expect souls to want to know where my church is, where the prophet is in Israel. I'm going to expect that because I'm seeking God, you see. I'm not going to the field with strategies and uh, hip suggestions and what's the latest evangelistic book out there. And I'm going there prepared because we've been in the prayer closet together on our faces like the upper room in Jerusalem, wherever the disciples met afterwards in the houses. Oh, the Holy Ghost came. On the face of this globe, 25,000 miles around. God chose uh, less than a, a, somewhere around a mile area. About a square mile or so out of this vast territory called Earth, where he came down, powerfully manifested his presence. Where? When these people were together, nobodies, according to the world. That's where God showed up. You know why? Because they left everything. They weren't playing around. Except for Judas, he became one who played around. He got burnt forever. But they all started out good, and the 11 of them, they stuck to it. They did not play around. They were not so smart. It's true. Like us. They didn't come with a lot of stuff to show how brilliant they were, like us. They just came as they were. The Lord said, that's what I want. When your cup is dry, empty, I'll fill it up. Glory be to God. Luke chapter 18, just a few more things. Verse 6, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. We already went over that. And shall not, shall God not avenge his own elect? What are they crying for? Justice. God, bring justice. One way God can bring justice is to slap the devil. To come powerfully in our midst. To let go of the souls that he's holding prisoner. Right in front of us. Right on Main Street. Right on the streets in the side and in the front and the back. We can say, Lord, stop the devil's show, Lord. Souls must come in. And God may lead you to go into the, the that burger place. He may lead you to go into that supermarket, to the pharmacy, on the street outside. In fact, we can ask permission. Some of you are, are good. You've been given the ability to connect with people. You're able to talk to people. You're able to convince people. We need the Spirit of God when it comes to the things of God, but God has given some talents. And when we pray, God can use that. What do I mean? You can go, just like I've seen people do before, to the supermarkets, to the managers, to the people. 
and not only say, as you have done, a number of you have done that. I like to post this, you know, flyer. And what is it? Oh, we want to help the community get rehabilitated. You see? Certain words. We, we want to help the people who are having a hard time. And we have some services. And uh, can we put this flyer up? Some of you have done that. It may mean asking permission from the owner or the boss or the manager. Can we set up a little table out here? What are you going to do? Oh, we're going to uh, invite people to uh, some services in town where they can get help, you know, if they're going through a hard time. They have some tracks, bundles of tracks there, and God can give ideas. Now, we want to make sure we're led by the Spirit of God, so we need to be praying for that, creative things. Remember, all the creativity in the world. We have seen this manifest in many, many places. All of you have seen it. person has lots of money, a company or a church, lots of creativity, lots of technology, but you really don't see people transformed. We're after the Holy Ghost power. We want people to come and be permanent in the kingdom of God. And so we need that power from God with the creativity that God gives. So we may ask people, can we have permission? All kinds of groups I've seen over the years. They get permission. I just want to set up this little table outside of your uh, store. You know, we're not doing anything except to let people know that there's a place they can come to and get help. And and some people have been, a lot of people have been helped so far. That'll help you to make that case. Well, this is our territory. And wherever you are living, you can be praying, Lord, thank you for giving us these digital connections to share that uh, with our church family. You can pass that out. You know, you really can. This is the season, beloved. We've been talking about this on and off, you know, uh, past year or two. But now is the season where we're going full force. We're going full force in evangelism. God's been getting people ready. Hallelujah. So God will answer us. He said, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Simple faith. A joyful faith. God loves me. We got to start with that, beloved. The first thing we must be sure of, if we doubt this part, everything is on shaky ground. Everything. I, I've got to conclude God loves me. And secondly, I really love him. I fear him and I do what he says. See? Both have to be there. I must be 100% certain God really cares for me. He really loves me. Hallelujah. And I love him because I do what he says. I'm not sneaky. I'm not shady. I'm not troublemaker. I'm not a manipulator. Not, oh, that's all gone. Some may have to say that. Because that's the reality. See, we can cover it up and say, God loves me. I love him. I do. I did. As Pastor Weber said, but I did do what you said. But. And that strikes on everything. I want to do everything he says. That shows that I really love him. And then the third thing is full expectant faith. When I ask him, especially according to his revealed will, with my brothers and sisters, we're a powerhouse that will bring mighty answers from heaven. There's no question about that if we fulfill these conditions. Praise be to God. And then we see how about pride from verse 9 onward. Jesus is observing and he's telling the people, the disciples. He says, I don't want to hear all the things you've done right. Supposedly. 
so that you can look good in my sight. I want you to be humble when you come to me. Then I will lift you up. But if you lift yourself up in any way, form or fashion in front of me or before other people, I will bring you down. No wonder people wonder, uh, you know, how did the devil get in here and there? Pride was there. It, it, it was there. It manifests in different ways. You know, sometimes a person can suggest something. And sometimes people use questions. And it starts with this. Did you see so-and-so? Did you see that? And it perks up the ears of the average believer. And his immediate follow-up question. What do you think about that? What is that? It's not wrong all the time to say those things. But more often than not, they actually drag people into areas that are fruitless. So we need to be careful not to be impulsive. We really need to be quiet. Let every man be swift to hear. What a choice of words. We think about swift. We think about running to do something. Swift to do what? Be quiet. Wow. God says let everyone be really swift to be quiet. Slow to speak. Oh, that's so hard. So hard for most people. Swift to hear and slow to, but I've got to get this off my mind. The fruit of the spirit. Prayer. Don't let your heart be anxious for anything, but you talk to God, bring it before the Lord. Learn to wait on God, be quiet and don't talk to people faster than you talk to God. Especially if you haven't talked to God properly. Because often you'll find when we talk to God properly, we'll be talking a whole lot less to human beings. Be slow to wrath. Once again, the picture of humility, this thing called meekness, where a person is just quiet and gentle. They brought the little children. The disciples thought these are nobodies, basically. They're cute and everything, but they, they just don't have that kind of weight as adults. Jesus essentially said the opposite. He said, many adults are not like these children. Little ones. So trusting and meek. Assuredly, I say to you, he said, verily, verily, or For certain, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, mark these words. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Just like the section before this. Oh, humility is such a big thing. It's such a... uh, indispensable quality that God is looking for. If I'm not more humble today than yesterday, I'm not making progress. And if I've reverted back to some kind of prideful way, I'm backslidden. What do you mean backslidden? A person not smoke, they used to smoke 10 packs. They're not smoking even one pack, not even one cigarette. It's gone. You're telling me that's not progress? Can you imagine somebody fighting with a man of God, a woman of God, God himself? What do you mean? They're not changed and there's no progress. Don't you see they used to rob people. Now they're not stealing anymore. They're helping the poor in the community. Oh, that's progress. Praise God. But at the fulcrum, the place where it matters, where the balance comes, Something seeping out, this poison called pride. And that'll ruin everything, you see? It'll be a poison that'll ruin all the other stuff. So we must pay attention to the state of our hearts. And always make sure that rotten yeast is not there, this pride, this evil. But we are what? Unleavened bread of sincerity. A young man comes to the rich young ruler, verse 18. 
Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I've made my money. I did good in the stocks, investments. I, I have a whole bunch of friends. We have a, a pretty good thing going, you know, lavish dinner parties. And I mean, I, but at the end of the day, I still feel like I'm missing something. Oh, guru, guru, rabbi, master. Uh, you seem to be enlightened. Can you tell me how to get that which you seem to have? Or show me the way? Because I'm not satisfied. There's a naval officer. 1790s. At the age of 19, he joined Navy and rose up the ranks. So by the age of 25, he was in charge of the battle. Just a youth, basically. Awards upon awards. Valiant, though. Valiant young man. Noble in his deeds. Listen to this. Right here in the United States. When he took on another position where he didn't have to be there on the sea. He got promoted. He was friends with the president. I mean, he built a huge home and all kinds of parties happening. Decent. Very honorable citizen. He and his wife were just having a wonderful time. Every evening, dignitaries and the social gatherings, you know. And he actually told the architect, it seems... I want you to build a place that's suitable for entertainment. In other words, having these friends over all the time, dignitaries. Listen to this. In those days, they used to have something called duels. Incredible. Man without God, what, what he'll do. These men dressed up so exquisitely and, and so honorable in their manners and with the social etiquette and nobility. If they had a problem with another person, there were a lot of situations where lives were lost. You know how? On the home soil. Have a pistol and go a certain number of paces and turn around and shoot at each other. The best man stands. Hopefully. Can you imagine that? Sometimes people in the West, they look at people in the East or in other continents and they say, oh, backward people. Tell me, is this not backward? Lose your life over a quarrel? And it's accepted and people come to watch it? Oh, my God. It's barbaric. Just like people do today in the medical theaters. Barbarism. Well, this man, being a nobleman, his friend was caught in a duel. And so it happened that his friend said, you know, this man wants a duel. And, you know, you don't back out from a duel because you lose face in front of society. So he went there. And this Navy, I guess he was a Commodore after a while, high ranking. He went to support his friend and he was known as the second they would have a supporting person there to help. So he was the second to this friend in the duel. And this friend had told this man that I'm not going to shoot. I'm not firing a shot at this man. And while they took the paces and they both turned around, true to his word, <clears throat> this noble friend of his didn't fire, even though the other man fired. The other man fired his pistol and it missed and this Navy Commodore, same one who rose up the ranks at such a young age, he ran with a letter from his friend to the enemy and said, look, a year ago he told me he won't fire a shot at you, and he hasn't. Has this satisfied your honor? And the man said, yes, it satisfied my honor. They stopped right there. He saved the life of his friend and the other man too. 
tragically, some years later, at the age of 41, this man lost his life. How did it happen? Duel. He made some comments about a man who forfeited during the war to the enemy. That man got angry at him after some years. He's also a, a ranking officer and he challenged him to a duel. Now this man is the talk of the town. He has all these people. Well, he kept it hidden from his wife. He secretly wrote to his wife's father saying that I'm being challenged to a duel. I didn't let my wife know. Please come and stay with your daughter because I may lose my life. Can you think of the logic of this? All to save face. I may lose my life. I'm going to hide it from my wife. You're going to have to be there if it happens. His intention was, because he was uh, an expert with the pistol, that he's going to shoot his enemy in the hip and spare his life, just injure him. The other man wasn't thinking the same way. And uh, this time they didn't turn around, but the seconds for both of them, supporting people, they were treacherous. They wanted to set this in such a way that people do get killed. They're evil. And the other man, the older man, shot this young superstar in the Navy, the U.S. government at that time, in that area in Washington, D.C. And he shot him and severed his pelvic arteries and he knew he was dying. And while he's dying, he said, uh, move my wife from the front of the house to the back of the house. I don't want to see her to see me. And as he's going, he was <laughs> talking about nobility and the confusion. He said, while you're drawing me in the horse carriage to get help, I want you to get my enemy too. He needs help too. He's wounded. Now, he wasn't mortally wounded, but he was wounded. And that man yells out and says, God bless you. Thank you for thinking about me. And I forgive you. And then this man goes into this mansion of his. And hours later, he died. But he said, my God, he said, I could never imagine how much pain a man can bear. Such pain. And he refused to have that shell taken out from his body. He died. He lost his life. His wife lost her husband. This thing called pride may not manifest in barbaric behavior externally. It may not appear uncivil. It may not appear to be rude. But within confines of social respectability, social etiquette, it's something noble. Even if you have to lose your life for nothing. All the things that people do. This thing called shame. Because of self-worth. Because of what people may think about me. And to what lengths I'll go to protect the image. Oh, the image of the beast. Every person needs the grace of God. And only the people who say, Lord, I am cuckoo without you I have no knowledge or wisdom that will amount to anything I could have a lot in this world it won't give me eternal life but this young man this nobility recognized that he needs something more than what he's got so that's a good thing he even humbled himself stubborn guy Jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good but one that is God you know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. He said, all these things I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, well, you, you still lack one more thing, just, just one thing. Anticipation building up, oh boy, I, I, I passed. I passed the test because I just said to him, the things he expected me to do, I did it. And he accepts it. I only have one more thing to do. One more thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. 
what is the equivalent of that? You know, we can read this true story and we can say, well, this is why he said, and the Lord said this, and this guy's like this. And what is it in me? Is there anything at all? Is there anything at all, truly? Is there something that I like to do that I know God doesn't like, but I still hold on to it? Oh, I did a lot of other things, but this one thing, I, I refuse. I refuse to let it go. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want anybody to talk about it. It's just me. Well, that me will go to hell. So the message is, the thing that we think is negligible, peripheral and marginal, inconsequential, the thing that we think, wow, phew, I did everything. Wow, there's a great change in my life. Hallelujah. But the Lord says there's something there that's going to trip you up badly. You need to get rid of that. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. For he was very rich. He says, hey, I, I like style. I, I got a standard. And I'll do anything you say, Lord, if I can take this with me. God said, no. The both of you can't fit into heaven. You got to let go of that. Now, we heard recently from the scriptures that it's not wrong to be rich. But the Lord said, it's easier for, not impossible, but it's easier. And that's the degree of difficulty. Like a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Uh, it's easier for that to happen than for a rich man to enter heaven. They thought, but riches are success. They're blessing. We heard again yesterday about the riches, the sources. It can be directly a gift from the devil, which will destroy a person. It can be through hard work and frustration, sweat, blood, and tears. Still no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction, no matter how hard I work. Sell my soul to the company store. To my own company. But then there are riches that come from God. Like Abraham had. Oh, great delight. You see, the soul is free. It's not attached. That's why he said, I won't even take a shoestring from you, king. These kings that he helped when he rescued Lot. He said, I don't want anybody to say that they made me rich. The possessor of heaven and earth, he's my provider. We we grasp these things and say, God, I'm not content just to know how to hear and articulate and organize the principles. Is it real in me, God? Am I willing to part with everything? What if I become homeless? What if I become homeless at this moment? Would I feel really bad and pity? Oh, we're human. We're going to feel the difference. But can we recollect? Can we come back to the divine balance and say, but I have Jesus. He's still with me. Therefore, everything will be fine. Hallelujah. What if I lose all my friends? What if I lose that thing I was looking to gain? Yes, we're human. Initially, we have that feeling. Other factors involved. We may think, did I do anything wrong? Did somebody else do something wrong? It was so close and it seemed so right. And those things will come into play. God understands. But I've got to come down to faith where, but the Lord is with me, right? I'm pleasing him, right? Then everything's okay. During that process, if I find out that the Lord is not with me because I'm not pleasing him, he stepped back. There's a bigger problem than whatever we lost. That's what we need to deal with. Assuredly, after Peter says, look, Lord, we left everything and followed you. We're not looking after riches, Lord. Well, I'm telling you for sure. There's no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children 
for the sake of the kingdom of God, remember, sanctified vessels. There are people, like in 9-11 in different times, heroic acts, but they're not in heaven. How come? How come? Didn't the Lord say, greater love has no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his brother? But didn't the Spirit of God also record in 1 Corinthians 13, even if I give my body to be burned, I don't have love, it matters nothing. The kind of love that will take a person to heaven is the one that fears God and keeps his commandments. From that springs the love that will qualify in heaven. Heroic acts, you see? Otherwise, it's a big zero. It's a loss. Many, many so-called noble and heroic people celebrated over the years. They're burning in hell. Why? Because they're their own God. They want to be heroes. We can never look at people the way the world does. We have to look at everything through the lens of the infallible word of God. I surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come, eternal life. Then he took the 12. You left your riches? You want to follow me? Well, this is next. We're going to Jerusalem and everything that the prophets wrote about me is going to happen right now. They're going to take me, Peter, James, John, all of you. They're going to, they're going to take me. The Gentile people are going to grab me and, and they're going to mock me. They will insult me to my face. They'll spit on me. It's going to happen. It's about to happen. They're going to beat me. Then they're going to kill me. But three days later, I'm going to rise. But they understood none of these things. This thing was hidden from them. They did not know the things which were spoken. And the chapter ends with the miracle. This is the Christian life. We'll have lots of obstacles and a lot of attacks from Satan, for sure. But while we're on the path of the cross and of the crown, miracles will abound. That's a glorious life. Hallelujah. The devil can't shut us down. But God will make sure we finish the race triumphantly. He'll make sure that he'll use our lives. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain man, blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. Call him to me. And commanded him to be brought to him. When he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. That Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. All of Port Jervis is going to praise God. For the miracles that have been done will no longer be kept within the four walls of this church. The city will come to know. And God will abound in miracles. Hallelujah. This chapter began regarding prayer. ended with praise. Hallelujah. When we pray sincerely, praise will be there. And God will do miracle after miracle. They will abound when we're following that path of self-denial. If we seek to save our lives, we'll lose it. You know what else we'll lose in the process? Souls. Other people's souls will be lost because you're selfish if you choose to be. 
And we say, Lord, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to think about me. And Lord, I want to be a soul winner. Please help me. Help me, Lord. Sanctify me, Lord. Make me a vessel where power will be poured into this vessel. Do you know God can pour such power into you that you could have never dreamed of? That is the teaching of scripture. When he says, arise, shine, your light has come. He said, God will make us an ensign. He will lift us up in front of people. He will draw people as we lift up Jesus. He will draw them to himself through us. We do need to cry out to God and say, Lord, I haven't won even one soul. Maybe somebody has to confess that. Now, all these years of being a Christian, Lord, I can't even say that I one person really came to faith through me. Maybe others will say, Lord, in all these years, only two people came to you. I'm grateful for that. But Lord, I got to do better. Please work in me. Multiplied, Lord. May the two become four. This is the way to pray. If we've never won anybody to the Lord Jesus, truthfully. Maybe someone's a recent Christian. Maybe somebody's been a Christian for a long time. But we must pray in proportion to what's been done or not done. Not been done. Otherwise, the prayers will be kind of uh, useless. You know, it'll just be, well, everybody's praying one thing and I'll pray the same thing. No. Where am I with what God has given me? What talents has he given me so far? What is he entrusting to my hands? What opportunities has he given me? What have I done with them? There must be a, there must be a breakdown within us of real repentance, not crocodile tears when everybody's wailing. But really, you know, what good is my life in the kingdom of God? I want to produce. And Lord, I thank you for what you've done for me, and what you've accomplished through me, but I want more. I'm hungry, Lord. And God will take that hunger and he will fulfill it. He will fill it with his righteousness. When we say, Lord, this is your will. When we pray now, I know you're going to do great things. Glory be to God. Praise God. We're going to pray with all that the Lord has prefaced this time with everything we need, all the ammunition we need from the word, from the exhortation, from the self-examination, the sanctification. One more thing I'll say. The world says this. Birds of a feather Somebody finished that. Everybody pretty much knows what it is. Birds of a feather. Flock together. Flock together. Yeah. What is the significance of that anyway? What does that mean? So in order to be together, in order, in order to be with somebody or hang out with somebody or uh, spend time in fellowship especially, we encounter people all the time. The Lord says, um, we're in the world but not of it. And uh, if you're not supposed to interact with fornicators and adulterers and swindlers and all these different people, then you, you can't be in the world. So he's not saying that the godly people have to leave the world because so much ungodliness is here. We're called to be the salt and light. We will have to interact with people. But to have fellowship with people like that means that something's drastically wrong because how can light have fellowship with darkness? So... We need to be able to discern one of the nine supernatural gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, is the discerning of spirits. In other words, to know what spirit is behind the person speaking and doing. What's actually behind the person? All the disciples were watching. They would have thought, Peter's such a great guy. He's just he loves the Lord. He's a hero. He's saying, over my dead body, Lord, I'm not touching you. But the Lord didn't take any of that as heroism or nobility. 
He said, get behind me, Satan. Shocker. For the people who don't know what's happening behind the scenes. When God is up to something big, Satan will be planning his rig. He will set up his instruments. He will set up his gear. He will set up camp. To do what? To hinder, block, and dismantle God's plan. We've got to be aware of that. If we don't, we'll be naive. We'll actually be willfully ignorant. We've got to know Satan will get busy through appetites, through suggestions, conversations. He'll be very busy. We can smile all we want and pray and sing till kingdom come. Worship the Lord. You know, I did this and that. What spirit is behind all of that? If I'm not fearing the Lord and walking with God and my time is not being wasted, if that's not the case, then the demons are there active in my life, in my home. And if I'm not able to discern what spirit is operating, especially with others in the house of God, then I can be exasperating the problem instead of solving it. Why? Because I'm not able to discern. I need to be able to discern. The question is, it's not pleasant to hear. Why are you warning about evil spirits coming into the church? Because they do. They do. But as the Lord said, woe to the one by whom the devil accomplishes his mission. Judas went to the point of no recovery, no return. None of us have to. But the only way we can guarantee that, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, is to spend more time alone with God. Ask him to check our hearts. Look at the guy who went to the temple. He was saying some great things. Most people say, that's the kind of guy I want to follow. He fasts, he gives tithes. I mean, he's just telling what he really did. God didn't come and say, you liar. He didn't say that. He just said, that's not, something's wrong at the core. To the people in Matthew 23, who were supposedly the cream of the crop, the temple cult, the people in power, the Lord said, you're doing all this stuff. You're tithing and, but you're neglecting mercy, judgment and faith. You need to do that first, then do the other stuff. The Lord spoke these words. And we must pay attention because God is hes doing great and mighty things and he has a lot more he's going to do. But like Gideon's army, he's checking to see who's fit for the battle and who's not. And the thrill of it is this, beloved. I get to see all of this beforehand. No, it's not a surprise. Meaning, all of us get to see what the game plan is from God's camp and what the game plan is from the devil's camp. And we get to see all of it. We get to see the battle formation right out on the field. God gives us a bird's eye view, an inside scoop. He says, you're not ignorant of the devices of the devil. So then I have the opportunity to decide whether I want to really exercise discernment humbly, spending time with the Lord. Don't look at anything for face value. Watch out for your own impulses. Read the situation by taking it to God. Lord, do you want me to do this? Oh, it looks so good. How could something so right be so wrong? Because we don't know anything apart from his grace. But if we would exercise that and say, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to determine what God wants me to do and know that for sure and stick to that only. No matter what. Because I need to protect my soul. 
Any believer can choose at any moment to be carnal. Anyone. Praise God that in the body of Christ, God doesn't want anybody to be carnal. They don't have to even for one second. But he's also made a provision called forgiveness and restitution. Restoration of wisdom where we lose it. Because we made the choices. We don't have to, but it happens to a lot of people. At that point, believers who are fearing God, you see at that given moment, there are some believers, they're really fearing God. They're like, my God, I'm not stepping into that territory. This person is off. I'm not judging them. I'm just, I'm seeing their actions. I'm hearing their speech. What do I do at that time? I don't hate the person. That's part of the body. They're not doing good. So what I'm going to do is do the best thing I can do, which is to run to God and say, Lord, help me not to exasperate the problem. I don't want to make it worse. I want to do exactly by your playbook, Lord. What do you want me to do, Lord? That's where we have to cut the impulsivity. Curiosity kills the cat. Impulsivity. Impulsivity injures. It just causes wounds to fester. We've got to hold ourselves accountable. You see, each one of us has to hold ourselves accountable and ask ourselves a question. I've heard millions of times about impulsivity. Am I still that way? And to what degree? How about eliminating this altogether? It doesn't do any good. How about just stopping that? And how about asking God and waiting on him? How about stopping uh, these suggestions? How about stopping popping questions at people? You know, what do you think is what? How about just keeping quiet? Be swift to hear. Is it a bad thing to be quiet? It's actually a good thing. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, even a fool, I mean a full-blown, full-fledged fool, when he holds his tongue, is counted wise. What a statement. What a declaration from the Spirit of God. He said, even a fool, when that guy keeps quiet, people think he's wise. In other words, we're not called to be fools. We should be wise through and through. And wise people will hang out with who? Wise people. So the best thing to do as we want to go forward in what God has for us is to pray a whole lot more. Check ourselves. And then when we gather together, pray with all our hearts, knowing that there's another dimension of power when we're together. And thirdly, because we're praying for souls, which is why Jesus died on the cross, God is bound to answer us in a spectacular way. And the Lord will help us to go, whether it's two by two or three, whatever it is, with a passion. I want to bring in the sheaves. I'm going to go forth sowing in tears. I'm going to come back reaping with joy. Hallelujah. I'm going to come back with souls. This house of God has to be filled because it is God's will. God wanted the house to be built. It took Haggai to go there and tell them, you guys are, you just left it. You're busy building own houses. What happened? You see, they had the fire once. And God sent the man of God to tell them, get back to work. I'll be with you, I promise. I will be with you. Go get the wood. Let's go. How good God is. He gives us second chances. He gives us many chances, but it's time to step it up now. Say, Lord, I want to be careful that I don't give in to any evil spirit myself, nor do I entertain or feel sorry and give sympathy to evil spirits working through who? Possibly my brother's sister. It's just the reality. I want to pray and drive that spirit away from the house of God so that we can all go forward together and do God's will. Blessed be God's name. Let's go ahead and pray from our hearts with all that the word, uh, all the word that God has spoken, given to us. To become strong and expect a hundredfold return. Hallelujah. God will. Fill this house to overflowing. And those who are in other states, in other countries, as you give the word to other people, give that link 
and you continue to be persistent, to pray for them, don't you know? A person who you know can be helped by some doctor or some medicine, they say, no, I don't think, you know what the value is. You know this thing's going to cure them. And they keep putting off while the love for their bodies, for their lives, will just compel you to overstep their rudeness or putting you off. Why? Because you're after the soul. You really want them to come to God. They don't understand it, but we have to be persistent. And when we go to pray with that kind of attitude, and at the same time, we are diligent to keep reaching out, expecting God is going to give me a soul. God is going to give me a soul. Hallelujah. And thank him before you even have the soul. As I mentioned many years ago, with one of the people that is actually part of a church, was praying for him. And I wrote it in my little book as a teenager, and I put it on the in, in my closet. And I put down this one, I started praying for him, and I had on the other side the date that is going to be fulfilled. I already anticipated that's going to happen. And I kept thanking God and praying and thanking God and praying. And he got gloriously saved. We have to expect, not just pray and say, God, I know you're going to believe it's going to happen. And I'm going to keep working diligently in prayer and reaching out until that barrier is broken down, that wall is broken down. It's not coercion by my words and physically, but there's another power. That's the power speaking of in the beginning. The power of the Holy Spirit with such a force within us because we're clean and we're faithful to God. We love the Lord. Our time is spent exactly what God wants us to do, not wandering around doing our own thing and trying to pass it off as well as probably God's will. Same old questions and same old games. So I'm done with that. I'll be a faithful sheep and power will flow. Power will flow. Some have experienced that already in this church, a new way. And we expect everyone who remains in this church will be touched with that heavenly nuclear power through the force of God's love and his faith. You'll be able to win many souls. You've got to say me, my name, I'm putting it down on paper. I am going to bring many souls to God. Into the house of God. And I will witness more miracles than I've ever seen before. Because my God is a great God. And he said he's going to do it. I believe it. Getting myself ready. Getting myself ready. For the souls that are going to come in. I'm going to go to the highways and byways. That parable, the Lord said they compelled them to come. The compelling wasn't by at gunpoint. The compelling was through this moral force. This persuasion of, of love and, and perseverance, just like the, the widow. We've got, we're bound, we're bound to bring in souls. Praise God. Without further ado, we're going to pray. Glory be to God. Whoever has a passion for the Lord, you've heard the word. You say, Lord, I'm ready. Do a deeper work in me, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. All oh, the word that we've heard so far, especially in these fasting days. Oh, Lord, prepare me for the mighty harvest. Praise God. We'll begin to pray one after the other.